You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Good morning, Pullman Real Life family. I'm so excited that I get to be here with you today. My name is JT Manning, and I've been a part of the church since about 2010. And I, it's, it's been a complete pleasure, and I love getting to work with, with Thad and Adam and Kathy and Alex and Terry and the team over here. It is just wonderful to get to work with people who have such a heart for people and such a heart to serve not only Pullman, but their community and the church as uh, we continue to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. Now, I love this series that we're doing right now because we get to see these different men and women who have had their lives changed by Jesus throughout the Bible. And today I get to talk about Saul, uh, who, who we first meet as Saul of Tarsus and eventually becomes Paul. And as I was kind of pulling into who, who Saul was, it occurred to me that I never really understood what it meant to be of Tarsus. You know, you have, have this guy Saul, and later he becomes Paul, but when we meet him, he's Saul. And his life from the moment he was born till uh, the moment he met God, he was always Saul, which meant that he has a history. And much like you and I have a history, I wanted to kind of understand his story a little bit. And so I started looking into what it meant to be from Tarsus, where there's this amazing city of Tarsus at, at the time of the first century, where Tarsus is a city full of uh, very educated people because they have universities. There's a center of commerce there as you essentially have to go through Turkey and pass through Tarsus to get to Africa or the Middle East. And so you have this this city that's a center of commerce as people kind of come and go and meet, um, meet people there. But Saul has these universities in Tarsus, but he's a Jew, so he wouldn't take the time and be educated with these, these Gentile universities, much like someone in Pullman would be educated here at Wazoo. They wouldn't go to UW. <laughs> and in the same way, Saul says, I have people, I have family, I have a connection to someplace greater than me, I'm going to go to my people. I'm going to Jerusalem to learn. And so he, he goes to Jerusalem, and when, when he gets there, he's going to have to be educated in the ways of the Jews, what it means to be a Jew. Because you see, living in Tarsus, he would, have, he would have learned Greek to speak Greek because that's what they spoke. He would have had to learn Hebrew because he was raised in a good Jewish household. And then he also might have picked up a little bit of Latin or a little bit of Aramaic through all that. So he speaks at least two languages, if not three, or parts of three or four. So going to Jerusalem, he's now going to the education center for his people. He's going to learn with the smartest people of his people and the best learners and the best teachers, not just any old teacher. And so he goes to, uh, goes to Jerusalem with one other massive merit in his name, He's a Roman citizen, which is a very great luxury for him. It, it means he's the top 1% of his people. He is not just some person. Not all Jews get that opportunity, but he has it because he came from Tarsus. It was a special allotment that they had there, which meant later in life when he's encountering issues and problems, he can actually appeal to Caesar. So being who he was, he got to appeal to Caesar, the top of the Roman government, which would mean you and I would be appealing to the president to decide what it is we, is going to happen with our life. So Saul got to do that because of his Roman citizenship. So he's not just anybody. 
And while he's, when he goes to Jerusalem, he ends up becoming aligned with this group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees believe strongly that they are going to love God and they're going to honor the Sabbath or follow the law is really what it boils down to. That is what, that is what they understood in the way Saul lived his life. And so he was educated with these great leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, he was going and he was learning with them. And, and for them, it, following the law wasn't just following the law. Following the law and loving God were actions. Where you and I might say, read your Bible and pray, they're going to say, read your Bible and do what it says. And that's more important than anything else. So Saul is now connected with these people and he's, he's learning, he's being educated in read your Bible and do what it says. And that's the message he got. And that's what he did his whole life. And he was this passionate guy who ultimately ends up aligning himself with this group called uh, uh, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees had their primary teaching, or the zealots of the Pharisees had their primary teaching of a guy named Phineas. Phineas comes from, from Numbers, and, um, well, let's read a little bit of his story. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them to, to the sacrifices of their gods. Okay, step one of what the Pharisees and Zealots see of we read our Bible and we do what it says. So if we are aligning ourselves with the Moabites, we are not doing what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, we're doing the opposite of what the Bible says. And when you do the opposite of what the Bible says, you find people like uh, Babylonian captivity. You end up with Assyrians. You end up with your entire culture being decimated because God lifts his barriers and everyone comes flooding in and destroys you. So when Saul reads his Bible, he sees that phase one of Israel going off track is you let the Gentiles in you start aligning with the Gentiles. But let's continue with our story about Phineas here. Uh, the people ate and sac sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to Baal of Peor and the Lord, Lord's anger burned against them. So when you start aligning with people who are not Jewish, who do not follow the law, immediately God's anger burns against you. Saul takes that to heart. The Lord said to Moses, take all the leaders of the people, Kill them and expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to Israel's judges, each of you must put to death those of your people who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. Then an Israelite man brought into the camp a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel. God just said, kill all the leaders because they're obviously leading people astray. And some random guy says, whatever, I can sneak this one by and just grab some Midianite woman and sneaks her into camp. And this is where Phineas gets involved. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, so the grandson of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, and followed the Israelite into the tent. He drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman's stomach. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but those who died of the plague numbered 24,000. In other words, Phineas grabs a spear, catches them in the act, and just takes them both out. And that is what the zealots define 
themselves by. This is the story of how you take care of people whenever you get off track. When someone says, oh, I'm going to just start trying a little something. I'm just going to do a little sin. No, no, there's no room for sin in God's economy. And so he grabs a spear and runs them through. And this is what God says about them. The Lord said to Moses, Moses, Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. Since he was as zealous for my honor among them as I am, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. And he, he and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. That is the story Saul of Tarsus says, I am going to be that guy. Someone gets out of line, I have a spear for him. But he has the passion to do it. He has the zeal to do it. He just says, I'm not just going to, I'm not going to do this halfway. I'm all in and I'm going to live it out. I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to do what it says. Fortunately for us, God, God gets a hold of his heart and doesn't let him do it forever. And being educated in, in Jerusalem, he would be familiar with the Roman rule because they were harsh. There were harsh rulers over the Jews who still had it easy compared to most. And so he'd be educated. And at the time of when Saul finally became a, a, a full grown-up, they had already lasted through uh, what is it? The Assyrian, the Persian, the Babylonian, and uh, captivities where these people have decimated their culture. And these things are, are hot on his brain of his family's history, knowing that I have to follow the law. Because the law is what will bring a savior. The law is what will set us free from Rome. And Rome is what's killing people in their town. Rome is what's destroying their culture. Rome is what's causing people to go astray and follow those other gods. It's Rome's fault. It's not their fault. And Saul doesn't want that. He wants God's blessing on his people, on his family, on his friends. And he says, I have to do this. I have to follow the law. But in order to do so, he has to make a major decision about what his leaders decide at the time because his leaders make a decision that he doesn't necessarily agree with. Uh, in Acts 5, we, we have a story, and uh, we'll start reading a little bit of it. Uh, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. This is uh, Stephen, and the, or no, this is Paul and, or not Paul, I'm talking about Paul. This is John and Peter. They had just spoke to the Jewish group, the Jewish Pharisee leaders. Uh, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who is honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Honored by all the people. This is an honor-shame group where if you're honored, that's huge. It's not just like, oh, yeah, this is a really nice guy, Bill. My, you know, my friend Bill, he's, he's really nice. He helped me out a bunch. No, this is huge. Gamaliel speaks. And everyone stops and listens because he is honored among his people. 
Then he addresses Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared and in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you. So he says, you remember, remember Thutis? You remember Judas, that other guy? They came, they did some stuff, but really it didn't amount to anything. We didn't have to kill any of their followers. After he cut off the head, the body just kind of scattered. So we're going to be okay. We don't, we don't need to do that. And that's where he picks up. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Just like Thutis, just like Judas. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged, and then ordered them not to go speaking of the name of Jesus and let them go. So he says... We already cut off the head. We already cut off Jesus of Nazareth. He's gone. So these guys, they're, they're going to disperse. Or option B, this is the real deal, and we're now fighting against God. So they decide, well, we don't want to fight against God, but we really want to discourage these guys. So they flogged them and sent them away. But their big issue is, they're letting in Gentiles. They're letting in those people who caused us issues, who have oppressed us over the ages. They know the story of Phineas. You let them in, and it, we're toast. This Roman thing is only going to get worse if you let them in. So we're just going to beat you to really discourage you and send, send you away. Because we, we cannot let them in. We cannot let the Gentiles in. The Gentiles will lead us astray. The Gentiles will ruin everything. That's why they're so passionate against them. And Saul watches this. He sees these men let go, the leaders of this crazy upstart. These dirty Gentile-loving Jews are let go out to go keep doing what they're doing, and he knows they will. And he watches that and says, not on my watch. I remember the story of Phineas. The leadership led them astray. I will not let my leadership lead me astray. So they go, and a few chapters later, we have the story of a, of a guy named Stephen who gives another big discourse in front of all these Jewish men and women, and our we first meet our, our friend Saul, who, who is standing there holding some robes as everyone stones Stephen. And let's go ahead and read it, because this, this first line is just too, too good. Uh, it says, And Saul approved of their killing of him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria approved of their killing of him as he holds their robes and just watches them stone this man to death. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off 
both men and women and put them in prison. Talk about zeal and passion. This man has zeal and passion. And he doesn't let it go. Because the next time we see Saul, we go from Acts chapter 8, we go to Acts chapter 9, and I, there's a bunch of verses in the middle of that about Simon and a bunch of these weird things that happen, but I think it's really curious that all of a sudden we have to skip all that to get to Saul. I, I think the author might have been doing something there. I just don't have time to really go into it. But when we see Saul, we do run into him as still passionate, still on fire. And, and Acts 9 says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's still mad. He hasn't let it go. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. Let's go ahead and hold on here for a second, because when it says high priests, Saul is a zealot and a Pharisee. For him to align himself with the high priest is uh, pretty much, oh gosh, what's a good, good analogy? Yes, the lead news anchor of Fox going to the lead news anchors of CNN and saying, can you go ahead and like back me on this real quick? Yeah, it ain't gonna happen. So he has to cross some real boundaries to go interact with these men and to get their approval to go to Damascus. So as prisoners to Jerusalem, and uh, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Damascus, Jerusalem to Damascus, real quick, a, quick uh, a great geography lesson that is still blowing me away. Jerusalem to Damascus, 200 miles. We're walking from here to Yakima. Walking in the in the equatorial uh, desert. In the desert, he's walking 200 miles. I haven't walked 200 miles for a good concert to go see friends. I, I can't come up with something where I've walked 200 miles consecutively. But you want to talk about passion and zeal and belief. This is it. He's decided not only am I going to follow the truth, but I'm going to make it happen. I believe this. We cannot let the Gentiles in because they will turn us away. I have to love God and follow the law. So he gets to Damascus and he hears a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Lord. Saul hears a voice from heaven. He knows who he's talking to. And who he's talking to just said, you're persecuting me. And Saul says, who are you, Lord? Uh, is it you? Am I persecuting you? I sure hope not. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul, because even when you're doing it wrong, even when you're pointed in the wrong direction, when you believe it, when you're passionate, you don't do it alone, you bring someone with you. And when God changes your heart, that's the point 
where you should be bringing someone with you. When you're showing up, when you're zealous, when you're choosing to make a difference, you bring someone with you. Saul got up, uh, the men traveling with Saul, there we go, stood where they were speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. A little bit like Saul. Saul. Yes, Lord. Ananias. Yes, Lord. Okay. All right, Ananias. He answered, Lord. Ananias answered, I've heard... Hmm. Back one? Mm. All right. I feel like I'm missing something. All right, let's just keep going and we'll see if I'm wrong. All right, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done. Am I missing a bit in there? Okay, good. All right, so we're just going to paraphrase the story. God calls to Ananias and he says, Ananias, go heal Saul. Ananias says, that guy? Do you know what that guy does to people like me? Because Ananias is one of these Jews that's letting those Gentiles in. And he's a quiet guy. He works in the temple. He follows the rules. He loves God. But because of Jesus, and Jesus said, love God and love people, Ananias loves God and loves people. And he shows up. He presents himself and is involved in what he's doing. And he's there being a part of his community. And he loves God, he loves people, and that even means the Gentiles. And when God calls him, Ananias says, that guy, those people? And God says, yes, Ananias, even him. So Ananias goes and he heals Saul. And when he heals Saul, Ananias then, or Saul then immediately goes back to being just as zealous as he was before because that's who God made him to be. God made him to be zealous. But now he has a different yoke. He has a different rule. He has a different guidance. His guidance is not love God and follow the law. His guidance is love God, love people even the Gentiles. Which is good for us because he wrote most of the rest of the New Testament. And using the zeal he had right there in Damascus, he starts spreading the word. Spreading the word. We're in. We're in, people. This is it. God said, love God and love people, even you. And he was spreading the good news in Damascus. And when the people that were already there, that already knew about him, saw him, they said, do you guys remember that guy? That guy, he was killing us. And so they hatched a plan. And Saul found out, oh, I'm not safe here anymore. So he went back to Jerusalem, which again, I'd like to remind you, is that 200 mile walk to get back to Jerusalem because he's still zealous. God still made him to be full of passion and energy and to make a difference. So he goes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets back to Jerusalem, everyone stops and stares. And now, you, because you have this man who was given papers, who crossed party lines to go make a difference 
in Damascus, comes back to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he's now talking about Jesus. He's now talking about how the Gentiles are in. He's now talking about it's going to be okay. And they see him and say, we're going to kill him. And so he, again, packs it up and goes back to Tarsus, which we don't actually know anything about Tarsus, but how do you think those conversations were around the dinner table? Because when he gets back there, he has to look at his dad who sent him to the love God and follow the law school and now tell his dad, love God, love people. Don't think that was a fun conversation. But because God made that difference in Saul's life and because Saul never stopped operating in the way God made him, today you and I get to be a part of what God's doing. And today God continues to grow here on the Palouse and around the world because God changed Saul's heart. This man finally found the truth and he didn't use the truth as an excuse to sit back watch Netflix, and eat bonbons. So right now we're going to go ahead and transition into time of communion, uh, where we're going to bring a lot of these ideas and facts and uh, good stories that I've told to a little bit more practical, useful nature. Um, here at Real Life, we celebrate a, an open table. So if you uh, believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, we invite you to take communion with us. Uh, as it comes by, if you just hold the elements, we'll take them together in a few minutes. Uh, so we have this first uh, question for group, and uh, it is, are you showing up in your own life? So that's one thing in this story that's hit me hardest is Saul constantly kept showing up. You and I read his story and say he was kind of doing it wrong, but he was doing it anyways. Saul was at least constantly showing up, constantly involved in doing the work that, uh, that, he, that God called him to, that he believed was right. He was not going to let these Gentiles ruin it for everyone. So are you willing to show up? Because after Saul's conversion, he continued to show up. He was fully invested in the way God made him. Fortunately, we don't have to show up in the same way Saul was because he was this passionate, fiery man where he was so fiery and he would even get angry and that would cross some lines and that's where he would start killing people. Maybe you're more the intellectual where the information comes in and you, you, get, you learn a lot of good things and you have a ton of information in your brain, but you aren't sharing that with anyone. You aren't using that to grow yourself and others. You're just soaking it in, soaking it in, soaking it in. Or maybe you're more like Ananias, who, who Ananias is this, quiet guy who is just always doing the right thing, a little bit more behind the scenes. And that's kind of more what you relate to. But then God shows up in your life and you're like, oh, I'm the quiet guy behind the scenes. I, I can't do that. Because I would say God is inviting all of us to show up and take part in what he's doing and to get a little uncomfortable for what he wants to do here on the Palouse. And the next implication, when you do show up, Yeah, sure. Who do, you, who do you bring with you? I like that one. It's different than what I wrote down. Uh, who do you bring with you? Saul went to Tarsus or went to Damascus and he didn't go alone. So when you're showing up in your own life, do you do it alone or do you bring someone with you? I, I know that's like hard for me because I, 
I'm actually very thankful uh, to just kind of plug along, much like Ananias, just keep cruising along, taking care of things. I'm the behind the scenes guy. I'm not, I don't make a bunch of waves. So when I read this, it's, it's scary. It's scary to think of asking someone, hey, can you come with me? Hey, do you, can I go with you? Can I be a part of your life? Can you be a part of my life? That's, that's scary because it means I'm going to have someone else's voice in my life working together. But it's what Saul did to change the world. The next implication, when you do show up and participate, do you overcome adversity? So Saul went through this massive moment where he repented of who he was and became this new creation. And in that, immediately in Damascus, he ran into adversity. You're that guy. We're going to kill you. He got back to Jerusalem. Oh, you're that guy. We're going to kill you. So when you do start showing up, when you do start engaging and being a part of what God is doing, you're going to encounter adversity. And I know that because in my own life, every time I feel like I really show up and I'm, I'm like, this time I've got it. Oh man, I've got it this time. I'm really going to be able to make a difference. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go talk to the barista and, and, and see how they're doing. And I go up and I'm like, hi, how are you? I'm having a bad day. Sorry, can I have a coffee? Thank you. And I shut down because I encounter the adversity. Because I have a hard time all of a sudden engaging with whoever, them, my neighbor. Because when they walk by, they almost give me one of these. And we've never even had a real conversation. But I encounter the adversity and all of a sudden I'm, I just crumble inside. When it's not surprising. Saul's story proves it. When you show up and you start encountering God, when you start showing up in your own life, there will be adversity. So instead I should be prepared so that when my neighbor gives it one of these, I give him a nice, hey, good to see you. Because the truth is the thing that's been sifting me and been hardest for me to grapple with as I've encountered the story is I can't be disappointed that God isn't showing up in my own life when I'm not showing up first. And if I'm not willing to show up, then why do I expect God to show up? The next implication. When God show, does show up, do you make excuses? Like Ananias, who's been showing up and been faithful all these years, serving in the temple, taking care of Gentiles. He's showing up. He's a part of what God's doing. And God finally shows up. And Ananias doesn't say, yes. Instead, Ananias says, really? That guy? So when God shows up in your life because you find, you've been showing up, you've been making a difference, you've been trying to take ground for the kingdom, and God finally does show up, do you look over and say, ah, oh, you know, I just don't have time. It's a Friday night. I wanted to go, you know, do something. I wanted to call some friends and see what they were doing. A kid has a soccer game. Or do you say, you know what? I can miss this one. I, I can make it for that because I, this, this is God showing up and I, it's worth at least trying. And the last uh, question or implication, excuse me. 
who are you not willing to forgive or let change? Because Saul went to Damascus and when he changed, they didn't let him change. And when he went to Jerusalem, they didn't let him change. And for me, when I was 21, my dad calls it in, says, hey, I'm out. I'm, I'm done with you and your mom. I'm sorry. Uh, bye. And in seven years, I never let it go. I never let myself forgive him. I never chose to forgive him. I never tried to work it through. I never tried to cross the bridge. And because of that, I missed out on what the next seven years of his life were. Because of that, I never got to have closure before he passed away. And because of that, his story ended with us not having closure. And now I have my own son with whom I have to work that out with. Where I have to not let that legacy carry on in me. And so working that out, working that out in the same way those people that believe that the Gentiles can be in, we're able to work it out with Saul is what's going to change the world. Seeing forgiveness come from the church first shows the world that God is worth it and he loves them. Because the God we serve says love God and love people. And if we can do those two things well, we can change the world. You can change the world by having your neighbor over for dinner can change the world by showing up and being present at dinner with your family and talk about more than what's for dinner and how was your day. You can show up time and time again as we know that we were first forgiven by God so that we can be forgiveness to others, which is what brings us to this time of communion. Because that night at the Last Supper, Lord said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember his body. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember. Lord God, I lift up my family this morning as we continue to look at who you are and what it means to not only be present and active in our own lives, but what it means to be active and present in our community and on the Palouse, Lord God. What it means to model your love and forgiveness well, and what it means to be, be changed like Saul was, to be changed in these new hearts, into these new people that love you, that we can bring that to the people all around us. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.